and good morning here on a 2XX. It's time now for the Fuzzy Logic Science Show with me, Rod, and I have a few special guests in the studio today. And guess what they're doing? They're all d- assembling this thing. I think it could be, you know, the President of the United States has, carries around a briefcase with special instructions to trigger the nuclear missile launch. It looks about as complicated as that, but it's really interesting. And it is, in fact, a model of a thermal solar power generator. And uh, I'm going to introduce those guests in a moment. But first, we have uh, Dr. Stephen Bygrave, who is the Chief Executive Officer. Good morning, Rod. How are you? Uh, Good. And uh, we also have in the studio uh, Martin. Martin is actually near enough to a microphone to say hello. Hello, Martin. Hi, Rod. Nice Uh, to be here. And uh, Jodie is in the background over there and she's pulling all these bits out of the box and the box contains a model of a thermo solar electric generator. In fact, I might get Stephen, since you're, uh, you haven't got your hands full, can you describe, Stephen, what you're seeing here? Yeah, look, th- thanks, Rod. This is a concentrated solar power model, uh, and this is uh, demonstrating what is actually being built around the world in different countries. It's a concentrated solar power model, um, but th- this isn't just a model um, in, in, in the sense that these plants are now being built in the United States, in Chile, in Morocco, and in Spain. In fact, many of them have actually gone live, and these these plants um, use mirrors to shine the sun's energy and light into a a tower full of molten salt, um, which can store the energy overnight, which means you can get 24-hour power. So, but the, uh, w- what I can see in front of us is an array of mirrors, and they're all circling this big collector, and there's Oh, hundreds of them. Um, and this is a scale model, right? So they're exactly. all... Exactly. Yep. And so they're all angling to catch the sun and point it onto the collector. Exactly. And uh, for those of you who have seen the movie Transcendence with Johnny Depp, in fact, a lot of that movie is filmed in amongst uh, one of the plants in, in the United States. And, and these mirrors, um, heliostat mirrors, shine the sun's light up into a tower which collects the energy... and generates the energy during the day when the sun is shining, but also stores energy overnight, which means you can get baseload power Uh, generation. Yes, now we want to talk at length about uh, baseload power and the myth of baseload power. But uh, what I'm thinking here is that, uh, like all good boys, uh, I used to fry ants with a magnifying glass, and you can generate a really large amount of heat out of a really small magnifying glass. Actually, I've got to say we have a couple of also guests in the studio who are watching eagerly, uh, Annika and Aldous. Yes, and uh, they uh, want to come along to see how a radio station works, but also have a particular interest, I think, in uh, solar energy and related matters. Anyway, I'm looking at you because I'm thinking of being about 10 years old and collecting a surprisingly large amount of energy out of a magnifying glass. And I look at this array of mirrors here, and, well, roughly how many would there be? Hundreds? Yeah, there's a few hundred there, yeah. Yeah, a few hundred. They would pump out a lot of heat. 
It's amazing the amount of heat that can be generated. In, in fact, this is a model, but we have a model that volunteers from beyond zero emissions have built. The, the model has been built in Sydney, and that actually uh, has a, uh, a can of water um, in the model, and the, 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 the mirrors shine enough energy and enough heat into the can of water that the water starts boiling. So this is an amazing amount of energy that's generated, and obviously enough energy in a real-life uh, situation uh, in Spain where you're generating 24-hour power seven days a week. 24-hour, seven days a week. Um, I, might, I might drag uh, Martin away from the model for a second because uh, Martin is, in fact, the creator of this particular model. Gra- grab, grab a seat, uh, Martin. And um, <laughs> at this point, Martin, is, he's got this model in front of him, and it's a really impressive uh, construction have to say, pull the microphone in a bit further. And uh, I met I met Jody at the pub the other night, and she brought this out, and I thought, and she put this thing on the table, and people were just wandering over to our, uh, our desk. We were enjoying a beer, and she was showing me this model, and they were just naturally fascinated by it. Wow, look at this thing! This is amazing, and right now it's glowing. In fact, so Martin, what? What drew you into making this model in the first? Why did you do it? Well, uh, thanks, Rod. Uh, well, I, I first heard about it when I went to a talk and uh, someone from Beyond Zero Emissions was talking about this concentrating solar thermal technology and the mirror array was fascinating. It's one and a half kilometres in diameter, the mirror field, with 2,650 mirrors all focusing on the receiver on top of a tower. 2,650 mirrors? 50, yeah. And 50 mirrors? Yes. And each mirror would be what, like a metre, two metres square? Oh, no, or something much like? bigger than that. Really? About nearly about four metres high, so uh, almost a four-storey house. Wow. So... Um, that's a huge amount of collecting area. I'm going to Jody. I'll get uh, Jody to come around to uh, to sit on a microphone as well because Jody is from Beyond Zero Emissions, and uh, Jody is uh, well. I think we're calling her um, a organizer for Beyond Zero, which is recently set up in uh, in Canberra. But while she's getting set up. Tell me more about the model. You were saying what motivated you to create this thing in the first place. Yeah, well, the terrific thing about this technology is that you can have electricity 24 hours a day, and that's been sort of the holy grail of um, renewable energy And because batteries at this stage weren't at the ready for large-scale application for storage. But this technology is using molten salts like a thermal battery to store the energy. Um, and so I thought, well, we've just got to have a model of this to help transmit the ideas and the technology and I like model making I can't help myself so I took on this task and yeah it was quite a I, I've got to one. say I wish I wish you could see it, like peer closely into your radio because you'll see it is really impressive and you've done an amazing job and uh, Jody, maybe you can uh, recount for us our little session at the pub the other day uh, where 
people were just wandering over to our table and saying, what is that? That's right. They were wondering if it was actually generating electricity as we were drinking our beers. No, it wasn't actually doing that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I found the same thing um, with kids, that it was it's fascinating. It's new. It was new to me, actually, even though I taught you know sustainability and resources and clean energy transition i still didn't know about concentrated solar thermal power so it's fascinating generally and um, the amount of power that you can get out of something like that now i think we should explain to the listener now you represent beyond zero emissions right who, who are beyond zero emissions i might pass that to steve yeah so okay. so beyond zero emissions we're a not-for-profit uh, climate solutions think tank um, we've, we've, we've been around now since 2007 and we're doing reports across the Australian economy on how we can transition to zero emissions. So the energy story and renewable energy story is a very important part of that. We've also done work on zero emissions buildings, zero emissions transport like high-speed rail, electric vehicles, but also on how we can uh, transition our food and our agricultural sector to be zero emissions as well. And our aim is to do the research. We have partnerships with different universities, Melbourne University, ANU, University of New South Wales, and QUT in Brisbane. And by doing that research, uh, we can show how that transition can occur. And the transition that we're looking at is one that's necessary mm. in, in order to uh, have a sustainable planet um, because, as you know, the, the, the planet is warming and uh, through moving to zero emissions technologies we can actually avoid dangerous climate change. Yes, and I, I would like to talk a little bit about our role, the role of energy, but what you're describing there is beyond zero emissions has some serious technical and intellectual capital behind it. It's not just a bunch of um, you know people at home. I mean, that's a major part of it, but it's backed up by some serious thinking, right? Exactly, and, and that's where our partnerships with universities comes in. But, but our other strength is having people like Martin and Jody, and, and we have hundreds of volunteers around the country who can go out, they can take our research, talk to Rotary clubs, school groups, um, U3A groups so about you're, you're, our research. you're connecting some really hardcore technological things with people with just the average person you're making it real for the average person that's and, right and i think what jody and i saw and mm-hmm. jody you've been out of the at the bus depot markets mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of national science week mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. are engaging with this right oh, absolutely yeah and surprised and delighted yeah by it and mm-hmm. it, it makes it feel real because when you just yeah. see a picture of it or something it doesn't seem like something real but here it is it's in front of you that's right and you people. can actually touch it feel it almost mm-hmm. well people think that um that the solution climate solutions are still in research phase in australia it's uh, maybe especially because we don't see so much of it and people are surprised to find that it's ready to go now that it's not in research phase purely anymore that it's happening already in the last five to ten years all over the world yeah now what what is it that somehow the uh, whole question of alternative energy has become associated with lentil eating greenies who like bushwalking and uh, drinking mineral water but i mean it seems to have been overloaded with this political thing that, that makes it unpalatable to so many people, to, to people of the, of, I don't want to categorise them, but I'm going to the economic, liberal, free market 
types? What, what's going on, do you think? Well, I, I think um, the transition is actually occurring very, very quickly. Um, we've got Australia. Australia is the, has the highest penetration of rooftop solar in the world, and yet we have a national government who is still denying the climate science. And so you've got this conflict in Australian society where you've got individuals and householders who are just getting on with it, and they want to get on with climate solutions because they not only address the environment but actually make sense for a whole bunch of economic and social reasons. And yet we've got messages coming from a national government and a prime minister which are very negative. And so you've got kind of got this perception that solar energy is still um, not quite ready, even it's though like many of us are embracing almost. it. Yeah, but, but, but the reality is Australia is one of the leaders in solar energy. We have been for many decades. And wind now, energy, we're seeing wind turbines across the landscape uh, and we're also seeing a whole range of other technologies um, putting in place. We've got Australians embracing energy efficiency where we've had a massive decline in energy demand across Australia, um, primarily through householders putting on um, rooftop solar but also putting in double glazing, insulation, LED lighting, etc. So we, we, we were talking just before we went on air and about how we have made the transition that alternative forms of energy have made the transition from being what was my, perhaps a fringe a while ago and people might do it because they felt good about it and because oh, I do it because uh, I should eat more greens, I should jog and I should whatever but uh, it's now making economic sense to do this and look, uh, you know you, you, we're, all of us live in houses um, we all want to be warm in winter and cool in summer. And so there's, um, by doing a lot of these actions, we have high-performing, comfortable homes as well as save the environment. So there's a whole bunch of good reasons for doing this. Rooftop solar, we're getting to the stage now where with battery technology, we'll have many houses thinking about whether they go off the grid and be free and be, be uh, energy independent. Uh, our work has shown that every home can be retrofitted through nine steps to be uh, energy free, uh, uh, zero emissions, and uh, every home can do this. We don't have to build new homes. Sure, sure, new homes can can uh, embrace ex- this technology wholeheartedly, but but every home can be retrofitted to be zero emissions. Well, let's talk more about it. I think we might break to a track, and it was either Annika or Aldous who suggested we're going to play ABBA. I think here on Fuzzy Logic to flex. You've got to do the dance when you hear ABBA doing that. And you remember the movie? Um, oh, what was the movie where they where they did the ABBA dance? Um, the Australian one. Oh, I can't remember. Muriel's Wedding. Muriel's Wedding. Yes. So we're going to do the ABBA dance next time we play that track here on Fuzzy Logic. And we are talking about energy with Beyond Zero Emissions. And our guests are Martin Powell. Uh, no, not yes, Martin Powell, who is the builder of this fantastic model that we have in front of us. Uh, Jody Green, who is an organizer and a teacher with Beyond Zero Emissions, and Dr. Stephen Bygrave, who is the Chief Executive Officer. 
Um, Martin, just talk us through how this solar array works. So the sun comes down, it reflects. In fact, where I'm sitting now, I can see the ones on the far side are catching the studio lights and reflecting them at me. Oh, right, yeah. So it's, it's catching the sun and yeah. it, it, it's, it encircles this central collector and about, what, one and a half kilometres across, did we say? That's right, yes. And 2,650, 2,650 heliostats. Heliostats are mirrors that can move to follow the sun. So they, they track the sun? Yes, and they reflect onto the receiver at the top of a central tower yep. and that can get up to you know around 600 degrees more or less and which is rather warm and uh, what um, the mirrors track the sun and they they heat up molten salts at the receiver the molten salts are used because they're it's common agriculture fertilizer and when it becomes uh, molten it looks has a similar viscosity to water a common reed cheap Sorry, uh, you, you said it's a common fertilizer, right? Yeah, which uh, means cheap. So we're talking uh, about the economics of it here, right? Probably is, yeah, it's more f fairly available. Right. But the beauty of it is, is that it retains um, ninety-nine percent of the heat overnight for the first um, initial period. Mm -hmm. So that lends itself to storage. Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, thermal batteries. It has two big tanks: a hot one and a cold one, cold being in inverted commas being at minimum of 265 degrees. And then it's got a, like a does it generate steam? Yes, it, tra it, it goes through a heat exchange where it transfers the, the heat energy to water which then drives a steam turbine and then a uh, generator. Which is all conventional technology. Yes, point, so right? instead of using coal, dirty coal or gas or dangerous nuclear to drive a steam engine, we, we have the sun's energy for free. Now a key point that you've been making, I've deflected you slightly, is about base load power. Everybody says, and now it's almost like an urban myth, alternative energies, wind, uh, solar, don't generate when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining. Is that actually a myth? It is. It is a myth, uh, Rod. And I think this is what this is one technology, but there are other technologies that will provide baseload power. Will run twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. So through the molten salt technology, you actually have the energy stored overnight, um, and you can generate um, energy twenty four hours a day just by running a steam turbine. There are other technologies like pump storage hydro, similar to what's used in the Snowy Hydro Mountain scheme. Um, um, where you can combine, uh, or in the Tasmanian Hydro Scheme, by the way, where you can combine wind power during the day, where you're pumping water up using wind uh, electricity generated by wind turbines. Uh, you, you store the water in a, in a reservoir, um, and this is also being used in Japan and other countries around the world now, called a turkey nest dam. And then when the wind isn't blowing, you, you're essentially using the hydro reservoir as a battery, storing the energy, um, and then releasing water when the wind isn't blowing to generate power using the, and using the, the hydro. Uh, other, other facet, that Martin, that you were saying before we went on air was about the grid. Now, these things isn't just in a single place, right? There's an array of these things across the landscape. Yes. And when, when it's not blowing in one place, it'll be blowing somewhere else. Is that yeah, right? That's the beauty of this um, network is you have a variety of technologies, sun, wind, hydro, um, biomass. biomass, and 
at any one time there will be enough capacity from the different sources and you can using the grid you can take it from these different sources and send it to where it's needed and uh, that's the beauty of this system. Yes, yeah, so we did a stationary energy plan. Beyond Zero Emissions did a stationary energy plan and we actually redesigned Australia's electricity grid with different solar power uh, plants uh, and also wind plants uh, dotted around the Australian landscape, all feeding into a grid that was connected. So we also connected Western Australia grid with the uh, grid on the eastern coast, thereby having a pure national grid with different solar power stations, concentrated solar power stations and different wind uh, projects around the country all feeding into the grid and the grid is essentially a battery uh, storing the energy that's that's um, storing energy provided from these different plants around dotted around the landscape all right we today on fuzzy logic are talking beyond zero emissions it's a great thing to do when we come back from this track i think we might talk a bit about the economics because that is another one of the urban myths or legends about alternative sources of energy and we come from a land down under where we use solar power to power our homes and our industry and our offices and you are on the fuzzy logic science show with my friends from beyond zero emissions Stephen Bygrave and Martin Powell and Jody Green and Annika <laughs> and Aldous along for the ride who are, have been our DJs today there choosing the music for us thank you good choice of music that one and uh, Jody sorry Stephen you you have a background uh, working with the OECD on uh, pricing of carbon and on the renewable energy targets tell us a little bit about that work yeah, that's right. I, I had the privilege of um, spending many years in, in government designing some uh, of the of the um, more recent climate change policies in in Australia, including the renewable energy target and also the carbon pricing mechanism under f under three successive Prime Ministers, John Howard, Kevin Rudd and Julie Gillard. Notice I mentioned John Howard because John Howard was actually the first Prime Minister to say we need an emissions trading scheme in Australia and also um, had some time in the OECD looking at carbon pricing and how we can actually build emissions trading schemes uh, across the world that, that might link and also set price for carbon that actually drives an investment signal yeah. so that businesses uh, have that investment signal that they can they can get on with uh, reducing emissions um, which is one of the many policy drivers we actually need in this country to it's not the only one but certainly having a price signal means that banks uh, put that in their in their decision making uh, coal-fired power generators renewable energy companies car manufacturing companies they all have this signal that that allows us to transition to a zero emissions economy which is what's required as I mentioned before if we are to have a sustainable now, plan now one of the the shameful things that happened in Australia with the carbon price tax, the carbon pricing or carbon taxes as people call it, they say, oh, it's going to cost me so much money, you know, and my household expenses are going to go up. And was that, am I putting my own spin on that too much or was that really exaggerated? It was really exaggerated and, and it wasn't a tax. So what happened was uh, Tony Abbott called it a tax, even though it was an emissions trading scheme with a limited 
uh, fixed price period of only two or three years. Um, but what happened was that mantra became so embedded in uh, in his uh, language and terminology that it became like uh, stop the boats, you know, scrap the axe, stop the boats, and and therefore you had this momentum built based on a flawed argument. And that's been quite a shame actually in this country because many businesses who I interacted with in the design of the carbon price were actually pro having a price signal on that's, carbon. That's, that's interesting. So it's seen as being... It was you know, a political uh, political game yeah. um, where it became, uh, as I mentioned, a mantra uh, that uh, uh, so much negativity was built around it, whereas you had, in fact, you had many companies saying we need a price on carbon. In fact, we still do. The Business Council, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry have recently uh, come together with a range of climate change environment groups saying we do need to have strong action on climate change. So what would be the impact? What was the real impact? I mean, it wasn't around long enough to see it, its real effect, but the emissions trading scheme, what would be the real effect on the economy? Well, firstly, just coming back to an earlier point you, you asked me as well, in terms of the cost for Australian houses, it was something like $10 a week, you know, two cappuccinos mm. to save the planet. Um, <laughs> And, and uh, you know, w what we've seen, in fact, despite the, t the Abbott government saying that prices were, would, would go down after a carbon price was scrapped, what you've had, actually, is electricity prices continue to increase um, due to investments in poles and wires and infrastructure. And, and, and there's been very little coverage of this in the media. So although the Abbott government actually uh, scrapped and abolished the carbon price, which actually was reducing emissions, having very little cost impact uh, for, for consumers on their electricity prices. You still, you've still seen electricity prices go through the roof because of all of these other factors like gold plating our networks and mm -hmm. our poles and wires. So the reality is very little cost for the end consumer, uh, reduction in emissions, so it actually was achieving its objective, and all of this mantra about it not. Um, and and w what's the impact on business? Is it really making us less competitive in the global markets? You know, that we can't, certainly not. We can't keep up because we've now got this burden of this great inverted commas tax. Certainly not. But the other important thing about a carbon price, as I mentioned before, it sets that signal in across the whole economy. And, and you have banks like Deutsche Bank and some of the bigger banks who, who make very big decisions about whether to back a specific energy project or not. And when you have a carbon pricing mechanism that is legislated, you have even those banks factoring this price, even if it might be a low price, factoring that into their investment decisions. Mm -hmm. As soon as you don't have a price or a legislative carbon price, all of that goes out the window again. So you, you don't transition the economy and business and consumers towards a zero emissions economy, which is where we need to be So going. it wouldn't really hurt our economy to do this, right? Absolutely not. And, and the aim is to set a low price initially and then ramp that up over time so that the, as the carbon constraint becomes more and more uh, significant, you, you know, 
households, businesses, the whole economy is transitioning yeah. over a very planned and measured uh, now, time frame. W- one thing that uh, I've learned recently is about our current energy infrastructure and uh, the money that we have spent in coal-fired power station. And you've been telling me, and, and Martin, and just before we went live, about our legacy power stations. What, what, just, just recap, what, what yeah, were you so, discussing then? So our power stations are amongst, uh, you know, they're, they're 50, 40, 50, 60 years old. They're ageing, they're dilapidated, uh, they, they will need to be replaced very, very soon. And they're amongst the most inefficient in the world, including compared to developing countries. So we need to be making investments for the future. Concentrated solar power technology, wind power, renewable energy systems more generally are the way of the future. We've got companies like Bloomberg New Energy Finance telling us that new wind and new solar is cheaper than new coal and new gas. So it would be an absolute mistake for this country when we're rebuilding our energy infrastructure to reinvest in coal and gas. They are more expensive than new wind and new solar. That, so so I, our I new infrastructure needs to be based on renewables. Yeah, I, I don't know that story is well known. So I'll just recap what you've just said. We have ageing, inefficient, coal-fired power stations that have to be replaced in the next 10 years or, or thereabouts? Yes, yep. in the next couple of decades. And it's cheaper to replace them with renewable energy sources. Exactly. Uh, the, the logic is sort of uh, irrefutable. So this is nothing to do with being... If, if you didn't care about being green and environmental-friendly, if the only thing you cared about was how much money you were making and your mates were making, you would do this, would you not? That's exactly right. And the only reason why we still have coal-fired power stations running is because uh, the capital costs have been paid off. Yeah. Um, the operating costs are relatively low. But, but as the longer we keep those coal-fired plants running, uh, the more pollution we send up into the atmosphere. We, we keep inefficient uh, systems running and uh, we have to be transitioning as quickly as we can to renewables. What, what, what strikes me is that these power stations are driven not just by fossil fuel, but by fossil thinking. We've just written a report called Australia's Fossil Economy, which shows actually how Australia's, uh, you know, a whole range of economic uh, drivers in Australia are fossilised. And not only that, but we continue to export vast amounts of coal to China, India, South Korea and Japan. And uh, they are not going to be wanting our coal in another two to... Th- India's announced they won't be importing coal in three years' time. China's already moving away from uh, d- reducing its coal imports and even its coal-fired power generation capacity. China's moving to... Uh, Japan's moving to renewables, as is South Korea. So we have this kind of fossilised mental- mentality where we continue to think we can export this, this old, dirty, uh, polluting technology forever and this resource which is polluting, whereas... In fact, uh, the longer we have that mindset, we are going to become fossilised. It's uh, it's a daunting thought. Now, we're talking here about large-scale things, publicly funded infrastructure or industry-funded infrastructure. But one of the key themes that that, uh, I think drives beyond zero emissions, as I understand it, 
it's about a grassroots movement. It's about Jody and Annika and Aldous here, about me and Martin and all of us who are listening. It comes down to each of us as individuals. Uh, earlier in the show, you referred to the thing called the nine steps, I think, to uh, converting energy, a, for energy freedom. Energy freedom. Now, let's talk talk me through it. So I, I have, just sort of background, a house built mid-1990s. Uh, brick veneer it leaks like a sieve the energy just goes straight through the wall I have wall and ceiling insulation I don't have double glazing uh, tell me how, what can I do and, and sorry I just be preface that what can I do for myself and rather than just that little glow of virtue of doing the right thing uh, tell me how I can go through these nine steps. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And and we've talked a lot about energy. And, and, and energy emissions comprise about 50% of our total in Australia. So 50% of our national emissions in Australia comes from energy, from stationary energy. But there's another 15% that comes from transport, another 18% that comes from land use, agriculture and forestry, 7% from industrial processes, things like making cement and steel and aluminium, and then around uh, 3% from waste. So, you know, landfill, uh, technology, wastewater, etc. So energy is very important but it's not the only part of the game. And if we're going to transition to zero emissions and to a, a world that is not warming, uh, it's not just about energy, but it's about all these other things as well. But, but coming back to buildings, there's this kind of uh, perception that we need to be building high... All of our new buildings need to be high efficient, and that they can this, this energy-efficient building can only be done with new buildings. We don't have time to rebuild all of our buildings to be energy efficient. So what we've looked at is how we can retrofit all of our houses across Australia, but also our, our commercial buildings, our retail office space, to also be zero emissions. And this, the work we've done actually shows that every house in Australia can be a zero emissions house. It can be a net energy producer not a consumer of energy. And we do this through what we're calling the nine steps to energy freedom. We've just written a book. Uh, it's being published by Scribe Publications. It's going to be launched on Sustainable House Day on the 13th of September. And uh, we'll, we'll put a link up to that through our Fuzzy Logic and give Fan them... Fantastic. Yes. And this book, eight of the nine steps are energy efficiency. So... Just very quickly, what are, what are they? LED lighting. Yep. Fabric upgrades, which includes uh, insulation, double glazing, and draft-proofing weather sealing. Mm -hmm. Moving to high-efficiency uh, heat pump hot water systems or solar water uh, heating systems. Um, induction cook stoves. Oh. So we've got a very strong message about moving away from gas because we're all sold on gas being a clean, green, cheap fuel. <laughs> I, I, I fell into that trap of installing ducted gas heating in my home in Canberra, and many of us did that. Me? And we were all sold on it being clean and green and cheap. Yeah. It's no longer cheap. Uh, Australia's gas network is about to link with international markets where you've got a price of gas which is four times higher than the domestic price. So you can just imagine your gas bills in another two to three years. Really? They will rise astronomically. But not only that, that gas is a fossil fuel. Many of us don't know that when we're burning gas, we're actually promoting a lot of coal seam gas 
development in Australia because so, increasingly more and more of the gas we're burning in our network is coming from those so kind of um, operations. It's pitched as being better than coal. It's like the difference between hit over here with a cricket bat and a tennis racket. Mm. That's uh, right. That's so, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and obviously the tennis racket is maybe a little bit softer, but it's still not as good as not being hit at all. Oh, so just, just, just <laughs> yeah, not recommended uh, by health authorities or for try this at home. Uh, okay, so just quickly go back through our nine steps. So there was the the first one. LED lighting. LED lighting. Insulation, double glazing, draft proofing, weather sealing. Yep, fabric. Uh, s- uh, solar water heaters or heat pump hot water systems. Yep. Um, induction cook stoves, which okay. again don't require gas, and they actually offer better functionality than an old than a gas. Uh, instant, uh, instant heat. Instant heat, safe, uh, very good regulation, and, and again, it means we don't need gas in our homes, which is a fossil fuel. We keep think we keep forgetting gas is a fossil fuel, and yeah. we need to be moving away and from fossil fuels. And we might fuels. do a future fuzzy on coal seam gas and so on. But okay, that's that's number four. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we've got. Insulation, double glazing, uh, draft-proofing, weather sealing. We've also got... We've got things like uh, in-home displays, which can actually reduce our energy consumption by ten percent. Oh, so this is a display that shows us allows us to instantaneous mm. instantaneous readout on our energy consumption in the home. Yep, yep. And we'll look at that and we go, "Wow, my energy consumption right now is quite high. Is that because I've got the microwave going, or the iron on, or the the TV that's running <laughs> twenty four hours a day?" So we can actually get that instantaneous feedback and go, "Wow, I might just turn that appliance off," oh, so and you get that. That instantaneous feedback. So it affects our behaviour. I can feel Martin, Martin wants to chip in here. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking about the yeah, the measuring device. I had one with my electricity company, and it gives you a readout of what you're using, and better check you haven't got all the lights on and so forth. So and, and so, have you got one, or are you going to get one? I had one for a while, but I've changed to a more energy efficient uh, and environmental friendly power supply company. Ah, okay, and okay, so, okay. Yeah. So, so, so eight, eight, those eight steps basically are yeah. energy efficiency steps. The ninth step brings together the energy efficiency story with the rooftop solar story. So the ninth step is installing rooftop solar. So through the eight energy efficiency steps, you bring your energy consumption rapidly down. Yep. Uh, to as low as possible, and then you scale your solar system to meet that uh, energy that 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 uh, energy demand that's left. I, I wonder whether our current way of thinking has been shaped largely by abundance. So, uh, Clive Hamilton, who um, is going to be on our panel next week, and mm. we're going to talk about that in a moment. Mm. But he uh, wrote a book uh, called um, Affluenza. Affluenza, mm. and the theme of it is that oh, it's so cheap. I mean, imagine if you were say uh, you wanted to eat some berries or something, and you found a whole bucket full of berries, but you'd scoop them up in handfuls, you'd drop a few on the ground. You wouldn't worry about it. But if you had a tiny punnet and there's four of you all want to eat it, you'd pick through those pretty carefully, right? So I'm wondering whether, like, we live in the age where oil, we haven't talked about oil today, but uh, super abundant, Mm. super cheap, coal, super energy has been almost limitless and really easy to get. Mm. But we're moving to a stage now, are we not, where the energy costs are really going to start climbing population Mm. growth energy demands and the cost the externalities to use a technical term Mm. the impact on the environment is that 
Is that how you see it, something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing about Clive's book, uh, Affluenza, is that uh, despite a period of excess and everything being on tap over the last uh, several decades, particularly since the Second World War, it hasn't made us any happier. Uh, you know that, that that's what's that's what's uh, interesting. We we all know that we're we're you know we have a lot more than what we had uh, you know ten or twenty or thirty uh, years ago. We're actually not any. Uh, we're not more. We're not. Uh, more well off in terms of our well-being so looking at well-being in a more general sense so but but the the interesting thing about energy freedom is it's an empowering concept it's it gives you independence it empowers you it it makes you you know it allows you to be autonomous and take take control well and and energy efficiency traditionally has been quite difficult to sell I, i talked about energy freedom with the international energy agency in paris in april and they just love it because energy efficiency is about constraining behaviour. It's about, you know, you know, um, it's quite. Um, oh, what I can't do. Li- yeah, it's quite limiting. More, I've got to read more mung beans. Whereas energy, f- energy yeah. freedom is expansive. It's opening and allows you to be very creative and, and autonomous and empowered. So. Well, so it's that, quite that, a good, quite a good story. That make, reminds me of an interview I did a while back with Nicole Foss, mm. who's a really interesting person. She's a Canadian system. She, in fact, she has uh, expertise in nuclear power generation. I'm not going to go there now, but she had this phrase, and I, I, she called it "big green stuff." <laughs> and what she was referring to was our love of building really big installations and it's sort of the continuation of the same thinking that we will provide you just plug into the network and you're still just like you're not free in effect if but if we're working at the level of our own homes our own energy efficiency uh, power generation uh, on site that actually is well is that the sort of thing that you're talking about with energy freedom? That's right. And energy freedom is about firstly starting with energy efficiency and then scaling your solar system to meet your re- residual energy demand once you've gone through all of those energy efficiency steps. That doesn't mean that you'll have householders who want to maximise their solar input into the grid, and that's a good thing too because it means that other households who don't have solar or businesses or manufacturing facilities can use that renewable energy that's being fed into the grid. But, um, you know, it's really up to the individual to choose what they want to do but it's not an either or situation so we've got the solar array here now that still has a place this large scale infrastructure I don't think it's an either or maybe absolutely not Nicole's colourful term big green stuff was Mm. maybe a little bit too a bit too strong because we we do need these sorts of projects do we not We, we need all three so we need action at the individual household level where householders can put rooftop solar we need community energy projects and those are just flourishing now in australia and around the world think projects like hepburn wind the plant down at bega here mm-hmm. uh, in on the south coast we've got community projects happening all around australia now and we need the large the big green projects the large-scale concentrated solar power projects that we're advocating uh, which can be up to 300 400 megawatts equivalent to a coal-fired power plant now, just a very quick update on our column. Today, Ian McDonald had a column written for us on uh, the subject of short-term and long-term memory. Fascinating stuff. I love anything to do with the brain. Uh, last week, we had one on the world through dogs' eyes. What colours do dogs see? 
that's really cool really interesting stuff and I actually wrote an article on this a while back and there's a thing called dog TV you can yeah yeah you can you can stream a show for your dog while they're out and keeps them amused imagine seeing the world through another set of eyes uh, that's another topic, another theme, and a uh, huge thank you all for coming into the studio today. Jodie Green, make things happen. Good on you, Jodie. And uh, Martin Powell, thank you, and I love the model. It is thank fantastic. You. And Dr.